Hello, and welcome to Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you are a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. If you work for a living, this podcast is for you. It contains important information that your perspective, current, or former employer does not want you to know, including the basics of your rights and obligations in the workplace, as well as practical tips on how to level the playing field regarding issues that arise every day on the job. Each future episode will feature an expert on the workplace or a guest who may tell us about his or her particular occupation. Hello and welcome to Freaking Out About Work, the podcast about working. Today's episode, number 12, is called Secrets from a Guru. Our special guest is John Kiefer. You may be happy to hear John is not a lawyer, and today we are going to digress a little and not talk about legal rights and responsibilities in the workplace. You may remember we did that in episode six with Julie Bauke, a recognized job coach. Today we are casting a wider net, and I have invited John to join us. John Kiefer is the president of the Results Group, and John has spent most of his life helping people become better persons, both at home and at work. I have had the privilege of knowing John since around 1993, when I needed help becoming a better leader in my law firm, a better person outside of work, and a better family person. John helped me with my priorities in life, and I credit him with much of my success. I hired John again about 15 years later, to help me and others at the law firm of Freaking and Betts, now known as Freaking Myers and Rule. I don't want you to think he works a lot with lawyers. John does not. I invite him on the show because on most days, John is helping individuals in all walks of life become better humans, better employees, better leaders, and better business owners. What's kind of fun, you can also find John Kiefer on YouTube and watch his short videos with an amazing amount of good, down-to-earth advice. I really like them because of my attention span. John's YouTube videos are like two or three minutes, and they're from his backyard. They're from national parks. They're from all over the place. John is a world traveler, I believe. So enough of all that. You know, John's getting a big head as I look at him over there. He's blushing a little bit. So let's get started. Let's learn some secrets from a guru. John Kiefer, welcome to Freaking Out About Work. Thanks, Randy. I appreciate it, and thank you for inviting me here. I'm happy to be here, certainly. John, you know, I always, uh, when I think of you, I just think of kind of laughter, you know, whenever we're getting together for lunch or you're helping me with something and I see you walking down the street toward me, I just start chuckling. So there's... You're an amazing person in that way. Um, But, you know, one of the things I enjoy in my work, actually, 
is hearing about how people ended up in a successful career. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about your upbringing, your education? You know, give us a little bit about that. And really, did you grow up thinking you'd be coaching people as your life's work? No, not even close. I, uh, uh, you know, for a guy that uh, works with people setting goals and helping them move toward a direction, I was probably absent of all of that (laughs) as a kid, even as a young adult. I uh, grew up in Lima, uh, lower middle class. Lima, Lima, Peru? Lima, Lima, Ohio. Oh, oh, okay. That stands for Lost in Mid-America is what that stands for. I think there's actually a movie (laughs) about Lima from that perspective. How's that, Greg? How about that? You bet. Uh, But, uh, you know, as I, you know, consider what you just asked me, how did I end up here? Well, uh, joined the Boy Scouts because my neighbor friend— his dad was a scoutmaster, and I think that was a life changer. I know that mm-hmm. it was because I really got into the whole ranks thing and merit badges and camaraderie with the other scouts and uh, went through the ranks of uh, leadership and became an Eagle Scout. And, you know, I'm proud of that that kind of stuff. Even worked at scout camp for a number of years. Uh, got into athletics again because of that same kid. Oh, you know, really? Yeah. Uh, he was a very fast kid, so he went out for track, and so did I. And uh, You went out for track? You know, isn't that unbelievable? I was a hurdler. You were a hurdler. You, people look at this body and say, first of all, I'm a white guy. I'm not tall. You're a I'm big not, guy, though. Well, I, six foot. But, you know, the, the guys that I was running against were were some of them were very tall, tall, skinny guys or herders. Yeah, okay. And with, with no fat on them, so that kind of, you know, how do you get an albatross over a hurdle? Well, I don't know. But certainly, I even ran ran uh, hurdles in college, got into football, uh, went to the College of Worcester, a small school, a Division three school, uh, and got the opportunity to play football and, and run track. And... Um, Learned to work at Worcester because it was harder than high school. They put me to work, and I made the decision to do that. Some of my friends did not make the decision to do that, and so they were there a lot longer. You know, it's funny. A a friend of mine, Dean Backshire, and I always talk. We talk frequently about this issue of decisions you make in your life. And there are like two or three or four decisions in your life that— make a heck of a lot of difference. Oh, yeah. You know, where you start your employment at, mm-hmm. who you marry. You know, there's, and there's only, you know, if you think back on it. Where you go to school. Yeah, where you I go mean, to school. These are these are points of demarcation. We make decisions every day that are really forks in the road. We, we talk about this. I, you know, I have people list, you know, five forks in the road just to get their brains going on it. And and it is interesting. And even some things that we would consider small can lead us in a path that's just completely different. You know, certainly where I went to school, the fact that I I taught and coached then at a little school outside of Finley, Patrick Henry High School, and then I went to a larger school, Defiance, and that choice led me yeah. to meet my wife, and, and you made the decision to actually work at college. That's right. That's right. That's and some right. of your buddies didn't. That's true. That's very true. 
you know, you could have easily just gone out drinking every night. Well, and I probably did more of that than I should have. But but, but certainly there was a time to work. I learned that there was a time to work and a time that I could play. And playing wasn't something I could do all the time. Which And up to that point, and maybe you can call that just a maturity level kicking in, becoming mature. What is that? Maybe it's a choice to do the hard thing rather than the the thing that'd be the easiest thing. So that, that, could, that, that could be a book, a movie, or a song. There's a time to work and there's a time to play. I think that that would be. You know, if the birds were here, they'd probably start singing. <laughs> it was the okay, birds. you know, we digress a little bit. I'm, I'm sorry I interrupted you, John. But so you go to college. Yes, and yes. eventually you became this coach. Yeah. For people. I, so I, walk us through that a little bit more, and I'll, I'll try not to interrupt. No, no, you were fine there. I can just go off the deep end chasing rabbits uh, for the whole yep. rest of my life. So uh, as a football coach and a track coach and a and a uh, a science teacher, you know, I, I love that. I love that. I really enjoyed doing that. But I knew that I couldn't financially. We didn't get paid anything, you know. And uh, so I knew that if— Cindy and I, I met Cindy in Defiance, and we got married and had a kid right away. And uh, Cindy wanted to, to be at home raising our kids, and I, I supported that certainly uh, uh, wholeheartedly. And so I was looking around for other things to do besides work in construction in the summer like teachers usually do. Painting, which is, you know, I don't want to paint. That's, mm-hmm. not, my, that's not my thing. Teaching driver's ed, I mean, that's so boring, you almost fall asleep immediately, which is scary. Not to a good idea come. if you're a, no, a driver's ed teacher to fall asleep on the job. Frightening. So uh, a friend of mine uh, suggested I take a leadership program and charged hmm. me. He charged he you. He charged me. Well, you charged me, as I recall, I in 1993. And it was not a low investment, and he charged me, and it wasn't a low investment either. And that skin in the game made me get something out of it. And uh, I did get something out of it. And then I thought, I could, I could, it changed my life. I mean, I, I ended up, uh, r- really, I started taking that leadership program before I got married. My dream list was, you know, get married, have a couple kids, uh, have a spiritual life, which I had none at that particular point, quit smoking, you know, a lot of different, have my own business. And then I realized I could teach this stuff, but then I also realized I had to sell it. And that <laughs> but, was a, but this is your your friend who recommended you take a leadership course. It's exactly right. What was his name? Bob Bowerly was his name. And as a matter of fact, he was the first coach that I worked with. When I got out of college, he was actually the head football coach, and I was one of his assistants. And so as our careers continue to develop. We, I still talk with him once a week. He's in Lincoln, Nebraska right now. And he got into, of course, teaching these programs for Leadership Management Incorporated, which is an international franchising organization that manufactures uh, packages designed to help people change behavior. And uh, I like that idea that I could really help people change. And so I worked with him for a period of time, then bought the franchise, took on a partner, sold it to my partner because 50-50 partners are pretty tough. And so then I, then I sold that and came to Cincinnati. 
and uh, had a partner here in, in the Dayton area, and that didn't work out either. So 50 50 partnerships are a little bit challenging for me to, but with the right goals, I've got another relationship that's 50 50 partnership. That's That's right. My wife. And we do have similar goals because we talk them through. Mm -hmm. And we've got God in the middle of that, which I think is also a very important thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got to Cincinnati. And started getting the chance to. I, I think I met you fairly early in that time frame. I think you started the results group in Cincinnati in 1992. Am I right about that? that that's that's exactly right. Because I met you, I believe, in 1993. I think that that's that's the way it was. And and I don't remember who referred me to you. I that, think your partner Camille. Camille did made a like a cold call on me. That could be. And it was one of those things in life. It's just timing, right? It had is. she had she caught me in another moment, I might have totally blown her off. But she caught me in a moment when I was doing a little self-reflection, like, hey, I'm not the greatest leader in the world, or I'm not the best time manager in the world. Maybe I need some help, but you know, where do you go? You have no idea. Most people would not know that there are job coaches in the world, right? That's right. A lot of executives know that. Right. But most people do not know their job coaches. And I certainly did not know there was a place like the results group that could, could help me with leadership, time management, coaching, personal life stuff. So why don't you tell us, tell our listeners, what does the results group do? Let's start with that. Well, I think what you said was exactly right. Uh, professionals, leaders, people, people in general want things to improve. Uh, they have challenges. They want to overcome those challenges. But but I found that most people are also bogged down. They're bogged down in time, not enough time. They're driven by the urgency right off the map and doing things that are urgent rather than things that are important for their lives, purposeful things. They also have behaviors and attitudes that are not solid leadership behaviors and attitudes, much like what I had, and I still work with those things. You know, people take a look at me, and I'm a poster child for everything that is wrong (laughs) with leadership, perhaps, and I work on those things all the time. So certainly, but organizational skills, uh, leadership skills, management skills, sales skills, communication, uh, certainly not just business, but also personal, a strong influence in that personal area. there are a lot of workshops, seminars, books written. There are more books written on the topics, and there are great books. But the problem with all that is they don't change attitude and behavior. If you keep on thinking, keep on acting the same way, what do you get? You get the same stuff back. And so people are tired of that. Well, we've got a process that really reconditions attitudes, and then the behaviors just kind of flow from that. So that kind of sums up really, at least in a kernel. And I hope it didn't turn, that didn't turn into blah, 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 speak. No, it's not like just reading a book. Like you could read The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People by Steve Covey. You probably put it down and you forget it in, in a week or so. Uh, what I enjoyed about your class back in 1993 was it wasn't one class. I had a, I had a show up out in Tri-County every Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock. It was like from seven to nine. You had homework for me during that week. I had to show up with papers completed 
And by the end of my eight or 10 weeks, you had changed some of my behaviors because between the classes, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you in class. I'd go back to the office and I'd do some of the things you were actually suggesting. And after doing something for six, seven, eight weeks, it almost becomes a habit, right? It, exactly. That's the point of doing it like that. And to, to go to a three-day workshop, the retention levels from that. Now, we aren't even talking about the reconditioning levels to make it a habit. But the retention levels are only like 5% after a 48-hour period of time. It's crazy. I used to contend that it was 20% after a month. The most recent studies say, and I, and I buy that more. Okay. That only five percent retained after after a two day period of time, and so having assignments in between, listening to audio cassette tapes. Oh my gosh, we used to listen to those cassette tapes <laughs> in my car. That's right. I used to have to plug them in there. That's right. And now we do MP3s. I, I we don't even use CDs anymore. more well, because, no. No. I don't think you can find a CD player. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm going to have to keep driving my car forever because you it's know, still You know, in my one. Volkswagen, I've got a CD player. There, there you go. Yeah. You could come back and do another course with me. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about this repetition <laughs> thing because you're saying that after like, if somebody takes a two or three day consecutive course, yeah, the retention rate is very small. It's terrible. Right. Yep. Is that part of the method in your madness of you requiring me to come eight consecutive weeks, but it was once a week with homework yep. rather than cramming it in it's to like three or four days? It's called space repetition. You're exactly right. If I listened to a tape over and over again on one day, it wouldn't have the same effect as you listening to something every 24 hours for a week and then doing, you know, reading we call it multi-sensory spaced repetition, reading, highlighting, using a pencil. Uh, believe it or not, that's more solid than using a keyboard. And we've got stuff electronically now. But but people don't like it, not with respect to the, the, uh, the solidness of using a pencil or a pen. And uh, hearing that over and over again, that drives the retention rates up to about 70%. But the doing it, doing it and sharing it with other people, and you take it back and you share it with your partner, you share it with your other associates, that's when you really drive that stuff deep inside of you. It becomes you. So Yeah, well, so this show is about working. Yeah. It's generally intended for employees to learn. Um, so you, you, you help executives, you help business owners, but you also help individuals. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about how you – help people in their personal life? I'd be glad to. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, some of the best things, and I didn't even think about sharing this with you uh, before as we talked about about uh, this, but we used to work with Campbell Soup line employees. Okay. Uh, Mansville line employees, GM line employees. And therefore- So these are people just working on the factory yep, line. Yep. Shoveling coal- yeah, <laughs> you know? shoveling, dip, dishing out some soup, I guess, or Campbell's soup. <laughs> Certainly. Certainly. The tomato, the tomato run. You betcha. Uh, okay. But, so how'd you help those folks? Well, it, it had to do with what we call the wheel of life and taking a look at all areas of your life. And we've set that up with a wheel with, with seven spokes. 
physical, mental, spiritual, financial, family, social, and career. And looking at all of those areas, and we do an exercise, and anybody can do this. I mean, if you draw a wheel with seven spokes and draw a number line on each one of those spokes, scale of one to ten, you know, how are you doing in the physical area of your life? How are you doing in the spiritual, the mental? Uh, wow. How, Most how you, people don't want to do this, right? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's very revealing. It is. When, it's, it's interesting because when you get people into it. Now, first, people just look at you like deer in the headlights. <laughs> and then my job is to look at them. What do you mean, go, how am I as a husband yeah, on a scale of exactly. one to ten? And this is you. I'm not going to look at this thing. You look at this. Yeah. You shouldn't even share it with your spouse necessarily initially until you feel comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And to go through that and estimate, you know, be honest with yourself. Because usually we aren't honest with ourselves. We rationalize everything. We rationalize working hard. Uh, there were guys at Campbell Soup that were working seven days a week. Uh, right. Some of them even double shifts or a oh, shift sure. and a half, getting their good overtime in, and do that for a whole career. Now, now what the heck? And it's it's a surprise then that they come home and there's a note on the on the kitchen table saying, "I took the kids. Don't even come looking for me." Right. Don't even try. Oh, yeah. And so, and whoa, where did that happen all of a sudden? Well, that didn't happen all of a sudden. It happened over 10 years. We, mm -hmm. we need to assess ourselves and see what's coming down the river rather than wait until it runs over us at the, at the river's edge. We need to be looking at where this stuff's coming from and go upstream and, and determine that. So Okay. So that's one thing yeah. our listeners ought to do. They ought to write out these seven spokes. What yeah. is a spiritual, physical... Family. Uh-huh. What else, John? Uh, See, my retention rate wasn't you very good. It. Well, and I've got to memorize in order. So okay. if, I, if you do it out of order, then I get all screwed up. So <laughs> physical, mental, mental growth. That isn't sanity. Mental growth. So physical, mental, spiritual. Primarily having to do with God. Yeah. Could be morals, could be other spiritual things as mm -hmm. well, uh, but physical, mental, spiritual. It's not spirits. It's not drinking whiskey. It's okay. not. That's not that. Right. So unless you want to put that in. So physical, mental, spiritual, financial. How are you doing there? Debt, uh, income, uh, paying off debt, mm -hmm. uh, major pur purchases, investments. Mm -hmm. So physical, mental, spiritual, financial, family. And you could break out the family with uh, spouse, uh, parents, uh, kids, grandkids, uh, in I remember when I did it, I did it as uncle because I saw that as a really big role. Yes, yes. You know. Well, you probably have developed a pretty good relationship with nephews and nieces, too, because of that. I have. And most people don't even consider that. You're exactly right until it's too late. So physical what comes after family, physical, mental, spiritual, financial, family, social, you know, having to do it, not just friends, but having to do with the community. You know, do I give back to the community? Do I involve, am I involved with city gospel? I do. Do I go to prison? You know, do I, uh, uh, now wait a minute, John, you said, do I go to prison? You're talking about your prison ministry. I think you didn't, you, you don't actually you have not been incarcerated recently. Not recently. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you do some prison ministry, yeah, I understand, yeah. up in Lebanon. I That's do. I so do. you're 
spiritual and your social is yeah. uh, on a scale of one to ten sounds pretty good. Well, it depends on who's the the uh, you know it's who's in the, the eyes of the beholder. That's right. You know, so so each person, and this is a personal scale. You ask people to do this, and you don't make them reveal it. No. To anyone unless they want to. No. Okay, so what comes I'm sorry, interrupt you gonna physical, mental, mental, spiritual, financial, family, social, and career. You know, am I doing anything to grow my career? Mm-hmm. Is there a career path? You know, we work so hard, some of us don't even take a look and lift our heads out of the mud to see what's coming mm-hmm. and to see where we'd like to go. And because of that, we don't go where we want to go. You know, if and you, you don't necessarily have to climb the ladder. No, you don't. Right? No. It's a very. It can be a very personal choice. You know, um, uh, Americans, what, we live to work. Europeans work to live. That's exactly right. right. And, and I think more and more people, you know, the millennials, they're kind of going with the Europeans. They're right. going, let's work to live. Right. Right? Which I think is totally fine. I think it is too. You know, I, I think, think it's, you know, Studs Terkel. You ever read that book no. called Working? No. It's a but- great book from the 1970s. And he wrote a book, I think it was 500 pages long. It's the only 500-page book I've ever read, that's for sure. But he talks so much about the dignity of work. Yes. And he interviewed a lot of people in that book, you know, cafeteria workers, guys repairing the streets, and how happy many of them were doing this mundane work because they found some dignity in what they were doing. That's exactly right. I think right. that's so important. So on your career spoke, a guy could be a 10 making $20,000 a year if he finds dignity in his work. Yes, he that's could. That's what I think is so important. Yes, he yes he could. So it's not you're not saying, "Okay, wait a minute, you get nope. a 10 if you're making a million dollars." You could you could get a 1 sometimes if you're making a million dollars because there's a lot of ha- Unhappy people making a lot of money. Yes, sir. Right? Okay. Yes, sir. I think purpose and uh, certainly purposeful work. And, you know, even I think you're bringing up a good point to set goals in all of those areas. You know, where would I like to see this thing end? Well, that's pretty hard for people to figure out, but it's not a, how how do you want to be remembered? Well, you got to start someplace. That's exactly right. Uh, what do you want to see 10 years out? What do you want to see five years out in each one of these areas? What do you want to see one year out? And uh, and it could be status quo. It could be. Could be. It could be, you certainly. Know, you're not banging on people every day that they have to climb this corporate ladder and they have to go to church seven days a week. One of the greatest examples of that that I could use would be one of those guys at GM. And I said, shovel coal. This guy was, we do a personality assessment. He's very internal guy. Very, uh, not not uh, an extrovert at all, very introverted. And he worked shoveling coal in a room by himself, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, for 30 wow. years. He That's... did that for 30, but he got to retire early. Mm-hmm. Actually, that met his needs. Mm-hmm. He had a fantastic personal life. He had toys. He had a great family. Uh, he had a strong spiritual relationship with God. He had great friends. And he, he now, I wouldn't have done that. But no. that was his definition. You would go crazy if somebody oh, put God. you in a room for eight hours a day with no no ability to talk to anybody. I'll tell you, the guy was a stud, though, because that's all he did was shovel coal. Yeah. So oh, he yeah. was in good shape. But uh, 
that it ter- turned out the way – don't we want it to turn out the way we'd like for it to turn out? And this is somebody you helped coach. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, coached. Yeah. Helped yeah. them along the way. I, I certainly allowed him to look in the mirror and see and, – and then look in the telescope and the microscope. So he looked in the telescope and then he looked microscopically at himself and determined what needed to change. So, Yeah. You know, I mentioned Studs Terkel, and, you know, while money is important, it's a sense of dignity that makes people who are working feel worthwhile. Uh, Do your classes touch on that at all? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, certainly. I mean, we're we're talking about benefits to be gained, losses to be avoided. And a lot of times people don't think about that Uh, with respect to my job. Uh, And I need to be in a job that I don't hate. You know, I won't say jobs are still jobs. Mm-hmm. Work still work. Uh, and so we got to realize that. And certainly it's great to have free time and to be able to. But but without work and good sweat, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's thinking sweat or whether it's physical sweat, I, I think that those, those people are the happiest. They're the most mentally uh, 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 squared away. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to have some of that. And people want to be engaged. They want to be engaged and they want to be a part of a ship-shaped ship. They don't want to be engaged with a bunch of slouches around them that aren't being held accountable. And so when we're working with managers, teaching them how to hold people accountable instead of just turning away and avoiding and thinking things are going to get better <laughs> means that they get worse. You got to address issues. You got to talk to people. You got to talk to your people. You got to talk to your teammates and find out where they're at. And and a bond builds in that case when people feel like they're important. They understand the why. Then you tell an unimportant person what to do. You tell an important person why to do it. And that's a por- powerful parenting thought, as well as a powerful uh, management thought. Okay, explain that a little bit. I, I kind of, you said that really quickly, <laughs> and it sounds really good. I but th- explain a little bit more about this telling people the why of what they're going to, being asked to do. What, what is some like of the, an example or the, something? Some of the first words that a kid says. Why? I've got hmm. a two year old grandson. I've got a two year old granddaughter. And she asks why. Yes, she does. And she will continue to ask why. And and why is that? Because that causes us to have to stop and listen and talk with them. That causes us to seek to understand them using some of that Covey stuff. And then to be understood, there's nothing more powerful than empathic listening. When we listen to somebody, that's the, that's the truest version of love that you could ever lay on a person. And- People God not... gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, I believe. Exactly. And we're inversely proportional in how we <laughs> communicate. You're exactly right. But you're saying it's very important for like a manager, a leader, when they ask somebody to do something, unless to... it's patently obvious, maybe explain why it's so important to be done. And it's never necessarily obvious, especially mm-hmm. to a new guy. Mm-hmm. Go go do that. Go sit there until I tell you to, what to do. I mean, that, that doesn't make it shoot. That guy isn't going to have a good attitude. A lot of times the first couple of days that the guy's on the job or the lady's on the job really determines what their attitude is going to be the whole rest of their career with that company. So to be involved, mm-hmm. to feel valued, are they hiring my hands and my feet 
or the higher in my brain as well and my heart. And when you get a heart and a brain together with hands and feet, you got a solid teammate. And uh, that's so important. And we need to do more of that. So to explain how to do something and what needs to be done is very critical. There's no question about it. But to explain why we're doing this is the most important thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're jumping around a little bit, but you know, I want to talk to you about leadership a little bit. Some employees become leaders either by choice or sometimes they're kind of thrust into it by a promotion. You know, sometimes people get promoted and the employer or the boss hasn't really thought about, does that guy have leadership qualities or does that woman have leadership qualities? Sometimes it's just kind of thrust upon you. So I want to ask you, what do you see are the qualities of effective leadership and how can people become better leaders? I, I, I think that what I'd like to do is break that question into two parts. One is personal leadership. We all lead ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to lead ourselves. I mean, that's where responsibility lies. We got to take responsibility and ownership for our own life. And that has to do with some of the goal setting that we talked about, you know, the mission, vision, purpose, definition of me personally. Now, on the other side of the coin, if I do real well technically at a job, Mm -hmm. what happens? Well, the next step would be normally to become the supervisor or the manager or the foreman. And so Friday, one week, I get promoted, and Monday, I'm your new boss. Here we go. And I have no idea as to all I know about uh, team leadership is what I've seen other people do. And since there's only about 10% of effective team leadership that exists in the world. And that's an actual study that a guy did in different styles of leadership. And, uh, and so the, the, um, the developmental leader is actually a psychometric definition, a psychological definition. Psychometric? You betcha. There Holy are five cow. different styles, and one of them's hardcore, kick your butt. And actually, that's about 50% effective. Uh, guys that are uh, using rules to hold people accountable and hides in his office all the time and uses tracking mechanisms yeah. to— Yeah, oh boy. You betcha. That guy's about 20%. That's, that's and then a- there's the the uh, the guy that just is completely avo- avoiding any kind of confrontation, mm-hmm. and that's not very effective either. And then there's the grandpa. You know, the grandpa <laughs> that wants to protect all of his people, and but that isn't very effective. You think that'd be the nice guy, but people like to be tested. They like to step out and, and deal with adversity and grow. That's where it's at. That's where we feel good, and that's not very effective either. The developmental leader, this is a person that holds people accountable and does it very effectively, asks a lot of questions. Uh, has a knowledge of his people or her people. You know, we need to know about our people. Know your people, know your people, know your people are the three most important rules in managing people. Three most important rules are know your people, know your people, and know your people? Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't even know. You know, if if Grandpa died last weekend after a long cancer uh, bout, 
And the manager doesn't even know, doesn't even have a clue, and then doesn't take time to listen to the person. Uh, I mean, how wrong is that? It's it's terrible. You know, and I, I find myself in that spot sometime, right? Yeah. Um, sometimes I'm embarrassed at work <sighs> that I didn't know something about one of the people I've been working with for 10 years. I'm like, really? Yeah. Yeah. That seems very odd. Well, then we need to. Because we're just running around too fast. We, we are. But holding people accountable. You know, a lot of people, I think, make the mistake of, I hold people accountable because I set a bunch of rules, and if they break the rules, I discipline them. Yep. Cut their That's cut holding their people off. accountable. You know, that's right. We're going to penalize you if you screw up. Jeez. So tell me about accountability. How do you hold people accountable the right way? Well, I think you gain commitment from them very clearly ahead of time. Uh, that means you got clear goals, first of all. And if you aren't organized as a leader, you're really screwed. You really are screwed. If you don't have any mechanism of, of communicating with people and then following up with them, I mean, that to me is a critical thing. Uh, and so if, if there's clear definition, clear systems, uh, not not just rules, not just rules to slap people around, but people like clarity. They do like clarity. Mm-hmm. I want to know what's expected of me. I want to know how I can improve. How I need to know if if I don't do good, what happens to me? You know that that I need to understand that when people get fired and they don't even know why they got fired, they didn't even see it coming. That isn't good. That's not good. You'd make a living off from that kind of situation. A lot of people come to say us and say, I I was completely blindsided. Screwed. And how can that happen? Well, they ought to know. Come on, leader. They should know just intuitively. What are you talking about? Right. Do the tough stuff. Do the tough stuff of communicating with your people, having clear goals, communicating the goals to the team. And then holding, you know, com- making sure that they commit to it. You know, are we on board? Do you understand? Tell me what I just said rather than do you understand it? They're nodding their head and have no clue as to what you just said. <laughs> you know, let's let's talk. And so, uh, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up with you to see how you're doing. Is that okay? Well, it's got to be okay. Mm-hmm. And then following through with it rather than getting busy and never following up with them. And then... As the employee, I'm going, well, that must not have been very important. That list, that test that I'm supposed to do, you never checked on? What the heck? I must be a schmuck. They assigned me busy work. What is this, uh, third grade or something like that? Right. That doesn't really create engagement. It's, it's not a surprise that 70% of people are not engaged in their jobs in this whole uh, opportunity. 70%? of employees are not engaged in their job. It's always been high, but it was more like 30%. But the recent studies say 70% are not engaged. And I can see it. I mean, You mean when, they're just kind of going about their job, they're doing it, but they're really, they don't really care about they're it? They're droning because they don't feel important. They don't know why. Hmm. It's the why again. They're looking for, they show up late. Uh, they'll call in and take the day off. You know, people now on the other side of the coin, that remaining 30% are highly engaged, are very involved. They want to see things perform. And you can see those companies outperforming 
the others uh, significantly. Mm-hmm. I, a thousand to one, probably. I, I there are, and everything rises and falls on that kind of leadership. Everything does. It's not. It's not a mistake. It's not a happenstance that that things rise. Why do some coaches? Why does Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama and why does what Clemson is a good example? They get great talent, but what you're saying is they've got to have great leadership. And if they don't, they're just like everybody else because uh, there are 20 schools that have great talent. And you can only put 11 guys on the field at one time anyway. Right. You know, what is there about they have great team interaction? Those people are engaged. They're giving their heart to what's going on. And I think that's a good analogy to employers because, you know, you think of the New England Patriots and you think of the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay. The New England Patriots would be, if they were in the computer business, they would be Apple. Yeah. And if the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, if they were in some business, they would be, their stock would not be doing very well. That's exactly right. Right. And I think it starts at the top. In Belichick, throughout the Belichick Belichick is an interesting character and he looks like a scary character. He's, he holds people accountable. But he, they clearly know what the expectations are. He really does hold people accountable. Very intense person. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell that about him. He and probably tells people why he wants to do them to do whatever he's asking them to do. I'm sure that why is very clearly defined. Right. You know, my wife hates him, you know, because, well, he's a cheater. He's a cheater. No, nah, he was just... He's stretching, the, he was finding out where the line was on the rules is what he right. was doing. But, uh, and and a lot of people do that. They yes. don't get caught. But with respect to whether he's a cheater or not, that's not what I'm talking about. That isn't what has caused him to have the success he's had. Right. He engages people. And if you can't engage people, you are not going to draw the best from them. Your turnover is going to be higher. And... Uh, you know, there's a car dealership that we work with, a series of car dealerships, the performance group. You up. mean the results group works with them? Yes. Okay. Exactly. They they outperform everybody. It's amazing. And they are, and I feel like I'm doing a commercial for them, but they're, they want, they're so customer-oriented and so team-oriented. And I've never seen a team of sales guys be team-oriented in my life. It's always each guy's right. individual. I'm a fighter pilot, you know. I'd rather oh, shoot, yeah. shoot other guys down on my own team rather than have yeah. them get the commission. These guys work as a team, and uh, they just keep growing. They just keep uh, – it's it's amazing to watch what they do. Their people are engaged. And guys that aren't part of that, that don't want to be engaged, they can't keep up. They're gone. Mm-hmm. They're gone. But the other guys that are engaged, they're lifers. Yeah. So – Hey, I know you do some uh, work with people on time management. I do. Talk a little bit about time management and the importance of time management. You know, you are an excellent question asker, a great facilitator of this. (laughs) My goodness. Time management. First of all, no such thing. We manage ourselves. We don't manage time. Everybody's got 24 hours. Well, that's true. I guess we don't manage time, do we? We have 24 hours. Yep. It's more of a discipline. And it has to do with what your goals are. And if you don't have any goals, it doesn't matter. So it starts with goal setting. And if you don't have goals, really, there isn't anything to focus. There's nothing to say yes to. 
So I need to have goals in order to have priorities. And what are my high payoff activities, my highest priorities that drive my goals? We talk a lot about high payoff activities and blocking them into the day. So what's an example of a high payoff activity? Well, in, in sales, let's mm-hmm. say, making calls, That's... face-to-face interviews, or Zoom interviews, as we've mm-hmm. been doing them over the last six months. Uh, certainly prospecting would be. Uh, follow-up calls and reselling uh, But people accounts. have to somehow put on paper what their high payoff uh, activities are. Certainly. And try to devote more time. Is it sort of like the 80-20 principle? Yes, it is. Very much so. 20% generates 80, 80% of my results, 20% of my tasks. And those tasks, the generic definition of high payoff activities for the average person is number one, goal setting. Number two, putting together plans to accomplish those goals. Number three, communicating to the significant people around you that are a part of your team, whether it's family team or whether it's a work team. Uh, and then, and those are really definitions of what a leader's high payoff activities are. Now, if I'm a manager, from that communication, that that uh, clearly defined commitment, then my job is to hold people accountable, to develop them, to train them, to get to know them, to uh, uh, involve them. So that would be the next grouping of high payoff activities. And then the last grouping is the do functions. Now, all those are do functions, but I'm saying the more extraneous do functions that would have to do Do, like D-O functions. Yes, D-O. Exactly. Not D-E-W or... Right. Yeah. It's yeah. not do it's... drop in or something like it. <laughs> it's uh, D- do, D-O. What I do. So certainly, and then I look at those things and how do I work smarter in order to spend more time in those high payoff activities? You know, what does a lawyer do to work smarter? What does a an executive do? What does even a person that's a line worker, what does a mom mm-hmm. or a dad do in the home? And those kind of things, and uh, finding out those things to work smarter in is number one, eliminate. Eliminate stuff. Say no to stuff. So you can say Very yes to stuff. Very hard to do for a lot of people. It is. And we have so much stuff that we got to build extra space for our stuff. And it just is not, it just drags you down. There is some joy in having a place for everything and everything in its place Mm. to have systems. And this isn't one of my strengths. Now, my wife, that's a strength of hers because everything goes back where it's supposed to be. In my case, you know, I'm thinking if I got tools out, and then I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow. Why would I put the tool back? Why do I clean it off? I'm going to use that shovel tomorrow. Why? I don't have to clean the dirt off. But to be effective, I ought to clean stuff up and put it away. So, John, you know, we're running a little bit out of time. Ah. But I want to ask you about this. Yes, because sir. time management. What do you think of to-do lists? Do you have any advice on people just want to make a big, long list of what they have to accomplish? Any particular advice with respect to how to construct those lists? I think that's a great question. 
And there's nothing wrong with a monster list, but it puts monster stress on us as well. It can be very frustrating. And so my suggestion is always to take the most important things, the imperatives that I have to get done today and separate those out. So I've got this monster list and I pull a couple of things out and I don't pull out a bunch, three to five, depending on what I've got scheduled. It might be better to pick one and get it done than to pick five things and not get anything done. But not have that to-do list sitting in front of you all day. No, because it'll freak you out. So you make your list and get it out of your face and focus on the imperatives. And then you use that as next. Okay, let's say I have an unbelievable day. I knock out all five of those things, give my list back. Okay, now what's the next five or the next three? Mm-hmm. So there's a next list going on there. And something is very interesting. I listened to a YouTube the other day about a guy that was talking about automation, simplification, streamlining, because we eliminate, but then we – and there's some stuff on that list that I should never touch. Uh, and if it just stays on that list, I need to make it's it – It's just deter- frustrating. Yeah, just let it go. Yeah. Yeah, just get rid of it. The The second step is can I simplify it? Can I streamline it? If I can automate it and put it in somebody else's hands, like bill paying, you know, that's a good suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, can I delegate to somebody? Well, I don't have anybody to delegate to. Do you have anybody that could assist you? I can remember what you told me. I, I Boy, this is 27 years ago, and I give you a lot of credit for this. You told me to schedule things. You know, yeah. I'd have a list of 10 things to do uh, this week. And you'd say, well, well, why don't you schedule when you're going to do those things? And I thought it was very helpful because, like, I'd, I had to write a brief. Okay, I'm going to do that between 9 and 1 on Monday. Yes. And then I got to do something else. I'm going to schedule that. And then guess what? I came into work, and my to-do list only had two things on it. Right. But really, my to-do list was a lot longer, but I didn't see it. You know, right. it wasn't on my calendar. Right. I mean, it was on my calendar in the future, but if I just looked at Monday, I'd see, okay, wow. And I'd go home, wow, I accomplished my to-do list today. You scheduled it. Even though there are eight or ten more things on that to-do list. Right. Right? Exactly. Because I scheduled it. You don't find time to do anything. You schedule it. Mm-hmm. it because you, when you, okay, I, I'll find time to do that. Really? <laughs> you look at the schedule. And you were remarkable at that because you would take a case and you would schedule all aspects of that case. Do you still do that? I still do that. Wow. I, I've been doing that for 27 years. That I, is, I plot out. I'm a schedule freak. I think that that's really And everybody cool. in my office knows where I am because it's publicly available. Yeah. yeah. And they know what I'm going to be doing, when I'm doing it, and what I'm working on. That's right. Right? That's right. And I, th- I think it's been fantastic. I, I, and you always would leave just a little bit of white space. Oh, because, you got to leave white space. Be- because if you schedule everything, then then if something blows up, then everything falls like a house of cards. So, you know, the domino effect takes place and everything's right. screwed. So having some white space allows you to deal with those firefights and emergencies. And you schedule your fun. Exactly. You, know, you put it in. I have no problem putting golf on my schedule and letting everybody know I'm going to play golf. What? And putting your family in there. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to be home by 6 o'clock. Uh, the idea that we should be working 80 hours a week. Now, again, you got to you got to pull that out yourself. you got to decide that for yourself. Mm-hmm. But 
but to me, you're just killing yourself. You need family. You need you need physical. You need social. And you're right. The millennials say, I need that stuff. Mm-hmm. But they're also very purposeful people. Right. And so if you help them see the why, they'll work their butts off for you if you involve them. They just demand that. And don't, shouldn't we mm. all? I guess the yes. old guys, we just kind of figured everybody was going to micromanage and beat us up. So we just— Okay, John, guess what? It's out of time. We might be out of time. We need to find some more time on another time, at another time. But you know what? We cannot close the show without you telling us about your YouTube (laughs) videos because you told me about them about a month ago, (laughs) and I've watched them, and I enjoy them. So tell us a little about the YouTube videos and where people can find them. Well, and, you know, I've thought thought about uh, writing a book, and you know, I'm not, I'm not good with that. But videos, I'm good with, and uh, and so, uh, two to three minute videos. The results group, leadership hacks is what we're calling those. Leadership, the leadership hacks. Leadership hacks. And young people know what a hack is. It's a shortcut. You know, it's a principle based thing. It's it's a good thing to do. It's a, it's a it's a principle. And so uh, I've probably done 150 of them, give or take, over the last couple of years. So if I just get on uh, my computer and I Google leadership hacks, will you come up? Or do I Google your name? The results group leadership hacks John Kiefer. I think if you do those three, it'll come up. And John Kiefer is K-I-E-F-F-E-R. Exactly. And if you want to contact me personally... J-K-R-E-S-U-L-T at fuse.net, F-U-S-E dot net. Or the, our website is uh, theresultsgroup.org, theresultsgroup.org. Okay. So touch base with me. Contact me. Well, this has been a lot of fun. It has been. We've heard some secrets from a guru. They can go to your YouTube videos. They can email you. They can. Maybe come to a class of yours. They I can. would highly recommend it. But this has been great fun, John. Hopefully we can do it again. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. I'm glad you pencil you you put this on your schedule to be here today. <laughs> it was blocked Fantastic. In, yes, sir. All right. Thank you very much, John Kiefer. Randy, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you're a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll tune in next time when we explore more about working. I want to conclude this episode from Studs Turkle that I find valuable. Quote, work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread, for recognition as well as cash, for astonishment rather than apathy, in short, for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying, unquote. Let's hope that we can all find daily meaning as well as daily bread and recognition as well as monetary benefits. See you next time on Freaking Out About Work, And please spread the word if you have enjoyed this podcast. Tell your friends how easy it is to go to freakingoutabout.com. 
and freaking out about is all one word. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>